Author Tim Rivers unpacks his book, The American Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison, intent upon spreading awareness of what has happened and is happening to the imprisoned J6 2021 Patriots on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the show. Do we shockingly have a Gitmo on the Potomac? This book unpacks the plight of patriots who were railroaded into prison following the occurrences at the Capitol building on January 6, 2021. Many of them still remain there. Sounds pretty ghastly, right? Well, it is. Are you aware of that? We need to know about this. So let's get into it. He's a retired information technology engineer, Fortune 100 executive and a writer. In 2021, he began writing letters of support to January 6th prisoners, documenting their stories and their messages to supporters and to America. I welcome to the show the author of the American Gulag Chronicles, Mr. Tim Rivers. How are you, Tim? Oh, Gary, thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Sir. And and thank you for coming on. And I've listened to you on uh, several Zoom presentations, and uh, I really want to get into this book. And about this book, it's a book that everyone needs to know about, read, and share because the American Gulag Chronicles spreads awareness of what has happened and continues to happen to patriots in this republic that we hold dear. And the shocking reality is that we must face is Whatever happened to them could potentially happen to any American. Please expound, Tim. I, I really think it's even gone to pass some line of cognitive dissonance. You know, at first I said, well, these are just bad people that are trying to execute lawfare. But I truly believe that, that this, uh, this culture is slightly deranged as far as its comparison to the American ideal. And there's, it's, it, that's why so many of us are like, well, what the heck do we do? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to, to first of all, to watch it from afar because we're safely behind our radios and in our car and behind the keyboard. But it's another thing to meet these people, to visit them in their jails, to talk to their families, to have to help serve the needs of people who are about to lose their homes or their vehicles or have their children placed in, in temporary housing. These are the, it gets a little more visceral, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so the message that these guys keep telling you over and over again through their letters and in their interviews. On, again, we do live interviews with these folks from j6patriotnews.com. Um, they may be the last interviews you hear from them because the BOP is now trying to, to make it a, um, a facility crime or infraction for speaking to any journalist live from inside a prison because they do not want, they want to be able to edit and chop up and make sure that the truth that comes out is only what they would like to come out. And so uh, these interviews before all of this started are, are probably your best option to really hear raw truth from these individuals. And besides the interviews, of course, are the letters that they've been sending to their supporters across America, um, really since since the Patriot Mail Project was reactivated on July 4th of 2021. And Gary, we talked about this, but I'll remind new viewers, go to PatriotMailProject.com and just look around. 
This was activated for the Bundys back during the, the, the Bureau of Land Management outrages, and it was kept alive during the Enron phases and Arthur Anderson. And it, what it is, it's a lifeline between American patriots and America's new form of political prisoners. Um, and it was reactivated again in July of uh, July 4th of 2021 for these J6 prisoners. And, and you can write to them. They write you back. They tell you, you know, their stories. Um, and that's what's in the book. All of their letters for actually an entire year's worth of letters um, for from 35 of these individuals, because we had to we had to draw the line somewhere. There are there were over 120 something of them in jail at that time. Um, and they tell their story from September of 2021 through September of 2022, what they did on that day, what's happening to them in prison, how the courts are treating them, how they're denied due process, how they can't see their discovery. I mean, uh, it's we could sit here and talk about it for a while, but I think the best thing to do would be to, to hear it from them. Um, you and I are, are we're broadcasters of a sort, we're citizen journalists, we're trying to bring truth to America. But how much more truthful can you get than hearing it from the individual themselves? Uh, and that's why the book was was released, because we did not think that um, they would get an opportunity to tell America their story because of censorship and shadow banning and the government interfering with the, with the stream of truth um, that has been trying to reach America for now over two and a half years. Um, and there's yes. the book. There's the there book, lettersfromprison.us. Uh, you can even kind of look through the first 14 pages for free, read some of these letters. But Gary, this is going to become a historical document. And it, you know, it didn't end in September of 2022. It's, it's obviously here we are in November of 23, and they're still arresting people. They arrested a guy in my county not even a month ago, less than 20 miles from my home. And so it comes right back down to... Um, to keep telling the story, a chronicle, a chronicle is a series of, of missives that describe an event. And so American Gulag Chronicles is trying to tell America what happened to the people on January 6th, but also what's been happening to them since. And the chronicles have to continue. And so book two lands in December of this year called The Art of Confinement. And it picks that story up from September of 2022 and brings it right to your doorstep of October of 23. Um, and uh, it, it's sad that a book like this has to be published. Um, but all the proceeds continue to go to help these men and their families. Um, all of our, our, our people who work on the book and who work on the boards are volunteers. Nobody draws a salary. Every single penny that we can goes to this effort. The shocking thing to me remains that most of America has no idea what happened, has no idea these people, these patriots were jailed, has no idea why they were jailed, and really doesn't understand they're still jailed without due process, many of them. In your book, quote, you say the book is a chronicle of those representing the bellwether of the storm for conservative dominance, a group of people who are being imprisoned and persecuted for a cause they believe in by a government that views them as enemies of the state. How did you get involved and why did you take on this project? Well, I started like, and so many people who are in this fight, okay, uh, how can I put it? Sidney Powell, Alex Stone, Mike Lindell, uh, Cash Patel, we all came in through this, through the election integrity door. We all started trying to understand what the crap had happened on November 3rd, 2020. 
Um, and and for, in our case, we started working for Defend Florida, which is a group we went around trying to verify the voter rolls. And what we found was horrifying. Um, 40, 40 to 50 percent of the houses that we were knocking on had some irregularity. In some cases, it went abandoned houses with five or six people registered to vote there. And so this, this kind of, for me, it cemented the legitimacy of a need for what happened on January 6th for Americans to say, you know, this doesn't look right. And um, and we want it to look right. It has to look right because elections have consequences. Um, and so they went that day, just as you mentioned, you might have gone that day. I wish I'd have been able to go that day, uh, although you and I might be doing this broadcast from behind bars. at the Right. Moment. But, Tim, so, for me, and I don't know about you, because where you live in the south where it's nice and warm, but for me, it was too damn cold. Yeah, <laughs> Praise God. Day. It was a winter day. But think about what it, what it meant. Those patriots were willing to brave that that day. Not just one or two, not a hundred, not a thousand, not 10,000, not a hundred thousand. We're talking over a million people. Over a million people braved that weather that day um, for very good reasons. To hear patriotic speeches, to hear 45 give his last public speech, to basically talk to Congress in the way that only Congress seems to understand is when large quantities of people show up and go, hey, listen. Um, and so what happened that day is, is in some cases, I think it is, it's a beacon. People say, oh, such a shame what happened. No, it wasn't. That was the most stupendous thing to happen in this country uh, since the Revolutionary War or maybe the, maybe the ending of the Civil War. Um, it, it was, a, it was a, a force, a tour de force of American speech, an exercise of First Amendment rights, an exercise of, of uh, freedom to assemble, an exercise of seeking redress. And, and what's happened here is a, a corruption of the laws and statutes that have been built outside of the Constitution. And, and we can maybe look back at the Patriot Act and throw a stone at that. Certainly that has mm -hmm. had a horrific effect on giving law enforcement's leash, uh, you know, a complete disconnect. Just do what you want. If anybody questions it, claim it's the Patriot Act. It's domestic terrorism. In the name it's of terrorism, right. You know, and, and so all these things are suddenly justifiable. And, and when you take a statute like 1512C, which was made for Enron because they were shredding, they were suspected of shredding documents. So that's what it was about. It's about corporations tearing up documents when they've been served a subpoena. But instead, you're putting patriots in jail for 22 years by saying that they disrupted something that was actually already gone. It was already dismissed. That the floors were cleared. The Senate had been evacuated. The House was gone. And yet, these men were are receiving sentences that are they're so beyond the pale of the crime. Um, it, it's very it's very difficult to swallow as a, as an American. It's impossible to swallow as a patriot or as a constitutionalist. Um, and I, and that's, unfortunately, that's why I made the second book is because the story has not ended. The story continues. And this second book kind of focuses on the trial and sentencing phase and the, uh, the after effect of receiving these sentences on both the individuals and their families. It just comes out of these letters, um, almost like a lesson. And that's how I made the second book. It's a book of lessons. Lessons of unity, lessons of tenacity, lessons of persistence, lessons of determination. And at the end of the book, you get a final test. And, and this is this is destiny's test for America, Gary. 
This is not my writing. This is a this is truly destiny knocking at our door and asking, are we worthy to remain a free people? Tim, I understand what you're saying here, and this is this is so heart wrenching. Uh, the book is in their story, their own words, written by their own hands. For a lot of people that have no idea what's going on, can you chronicle from start to finish exactly what happened? Because a lot of people go, what are you, what are you talking about? People in jail, jail what what they do? Who they murder? 22 years? Uh, what did they do? Sell cocaine? What, what did they do? What, what, what did they do? Uh, uh, you know, did they kill somebody? 20, what, what, I, I didn't hear about this. The, Chronicle, um, what <laughs> happened that day? in their own words, and why they're still in there or even were arrested in the first place. Many of them are still struggling with why they are there in the first place, because that day there were permits issued for five major rallies surrounding the Capitol buildings and encompassing most of the Capitol grounds. Um, the, the concept of, of having the actual capital itself as a restricted zone, that's totally understandable. And you would expect that the doors would be closed and somebody would be standing outside the door and some type of restraints were there. And they were very early in the day. But as the rallies been, and the president's speech begin to close up around 115 to 130, all the way at the other end of the mall, at the ellipse, which is a long way. Those of you who have been to Washington, D.C., I worked, I had privilege of working there for a while for IBM. Uh, that is a really long mall. It takes you about 30, 35 minutes to walk the length of it. If you got a million people packed around you, it takes even longer. But the violence and the removing of the barricades and everything was already taking place with people like Ray Epps and other individuals that are well-documented in video um, we're removing signs, removing barricades. Uh, many of them were are suspected of being BLM in uh, in costume to look like Trump supporters or MAGA supporters, and many of them have been caught on film changing costume in and out of black block mm -hmm. and in Trump gear and back and forth. Um, and there's stories about that recently that have just popped from people who have finished their sentences and are now free to speak about what looks like a very organized effort of uh, Antifa and BLM in the underground tunnels of the Capitol, where there are cameras, so everything there should be documentable. But, so I don't want to get too far off track, but what happened that day was everybody showed up for what was appeared to be a permitted rally. A huge crowd anticipated, and even the president had offered National Guard protections for that larger crowd, all turned down. Instead, they put it on a minor force of the Capitol Police. And when the crowd began to get larger and larger out of nowhere. And for some unknown reason, the Capitol, uh, the, the DC Metro police arrive and you'll see videos of them showing up in this heavily armored gear. They've got face plates and arm plates. They're, they're all completely buttoned up. You know, they've got tear gas masks around their neck. They're carrying batons and weapons. And they come running into the scene and run to the front line, push the Capitol police away who immediately depart the scene and then the Metro PD opens up on the crowd. They just, there are so many videos of this out now. Folks, please go to stophate.com and watch the documentaries. You know this gentleman, Gary. Right, that's David, David Sumrall. Sumrall. Right, I, I was with David Sumrall at Rock the Red in Greenville, South Carolina. We saw some of these videos and were aghast. Yep. And David is an official J6 investigator. In fact, my next show I'll be doing with him in about 30 minutes. We're going to talk about these things in much more depth. But um, he is actually a, a DOJ certified investigator, so he has seen the video. He has access to it. He works with the attorneys and with the defendants. He is a witness in courts. 
Um, and and what he has put together along with his journalist uh, investigative journalism clue, which includes J Sixers who have served sentences, um, is truly shocking. And the next documentary, which I hope will land about the same time as my book kicks, is called J Six: The Real Timeline. Mm-hmm. And that's and he's going to show you what I'm just talking about now, but in real time in videos, so that you can make up your mind for yourself what happened. So once the MPD opened up on this crowd, they were literally firing rubber bullets. You've seen pictures of the guy with a gigantic hole in his cheek where he was struck in the face by one of these projectiles. These are semi-lethal. They're not. They're not lethal musicians. They're called less lethal. Well, what the heck is less lethal? If you still got the word lethal in it, uh, to me, that doesn't really, uh, you know, de-escalate the weapon. But these people were being fired on by these hard projectiles, exploding munitions, which by code are not supposed to be executed anywhere. I believe it's, it's eight yards from a human being, were literally fired into packed crowds of people shoulder to shoulder where they went off. Two people died of heart attacks from that. Two other people were murdered that day. Roseanne Boylan in the tunnel was beaten to death by an officer who literally looks completely out of her mind. She's gone completely deranged. The woman is almost unconscious on the floor, completely covered in spray and pepper gel. And Lila Morris is beating her in the head repeatedly with a long baton. And then upside in the building, we all know about Ashley Babbitt, who was shot Mm -hmm. by an officer who'd already had numerous infractions for firearm mismanagement, who shot an unarmed veteran and killed her dead. That's what happened that day. And the crowd was incensed by this. Grandmothers, children, people who were veterans. Folks, listen to me very carefully. 27% of the original groupings that were arrested of J6ers are veterans. Veterans. Only 7% of the U.S. population are veterans. Why were four times the U.S. population's representation there that day? Because they raised their hand and took an oath to defend and protect their Constitution. And that oath did not expire when their service was over. It is a lifelong oath. And anybody who served will tell you that. And that's why they came to the rescue of these people that day. That's why police officers were pushed back and why people are being charged with assault when what they were really doing was defending grandmothers, children, and old people from brutal assaults with munitions and weapons that are are prohibited from use against civilians. And that is the story of January 6th. And today, they're not content with picking up on, on all the people who actually had interactions with police officers. Now it's just enough for you to have been inside one of those permitted zones after they've arbitrarily drawn a box about it and use your cell phone to geoplace you within what they now call a restricted area, and then they land you with the four basic misdemeanors. Now, if you'll plead to those misdemeanors, confess your sins to Biden, and take your punishment like a man or a lady, well, you can walk away with a permanent record infraction and fines and long probationary periods where you're drained dry financially. But if you decide you'd really like to have your due process, thank you very much, and go to trial, you receive a trial tax, and your four misdemeanors transform themselves magically into long-term felonies. Now, ladies and gentlemen, where is the ethics of a justice system that does that? You are extorting defendants. Literally, you're extorting them. And, And how can we stand and watch this and not do something? And you ask how I got into this, and that's how I got into this. I got a letter back and I read about this injustice and I looked around me at this comfortable retirement. And I said, BS, 
you can't watch this happen. How will you explain it to your children and your grandchildren? How will you draw that last breath as an American and realize you did nothing? Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn puts a, puts a pretty fine point on it um, when he describes having known, if we had known the depths of their depravity, mm-hmm. we would not have willingly gone along, but we would have waited in the hallways with shovels and brooms and picks, and we would have made their wives and children wonder who would be coming home the next day. And I don't, I don't say that to encourage violent behavior in America. I say it as a history lesson as a history lesson of what has already happened in the world and what is happening right in front of your eyes. And if you let it happen, I want you to find a picture of your children and your grandchildren and look at them very closely and wonder what it will be like for them when you close your eyes. Very well stated, Tim. Uh, I had four or more guests up leading to January 6th on this podcast. And we all knew something was going to be attempted. We all knew that Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Soros, whoever, we all knew. And they all talked about be prepared, people, because they're going to have people that look like MAGA that aren't MAGA, and they're going to start some mess. I had a guest on that I will allow to remain nameless who was there and left. And I asked this guest why you left. And the guest said, I had a friend fly in from out of town. And this is somebody who works in the Beltway. And this person said, because they understand how this shakes down, at the Trump rally, while they were speaking, they walked around to the other side where there's always counter protests. And there's bandstands and there should counter protests And the first thing this person noticed is something you said, the lack of Capitol Police. The number of Capitol Policemen that should have been in the area wasn't in the area. Went around to where they usually would have a counter protest, empty, nobody there. This person said, I don't like the way this picture looks. Something is wrong with this picture, went home. Smart move. Smelled as as uh, smelled a rat and understood that something was amiss. Didn't know what it was, but the lack of Capitol Police with all those people was a tip off. Now, we knew and everybody, almost all these veterans knew that something was going to go down. So it's a shame. and. Wouldn't you think that what they're being accused of initiating, starting, doing this, that, and the other thing, you know, counter this, trying to take over the building, trying to kill the House and the Senate, whatever, they knew that, that they were going to try and pin this on somebody. So wouldn't common sense tell the American people something's amiss here? Because if you knew they were going to try and pin something on you and you got involved anyway, to some extent, you must have had a good reason. Well, I'll, I, let, me, let me put it this way, Gary. You and I get up in the morning, we look out our window, it looks like really dark and clouds. I see lightning on the horizons. What do we do? Um, we grab an umbrella, we get a raincoat because we know what's coming, right? Um, if, I, if I'm going to go uh, hunting and I'm going to go where there's other people hunting, I know I need to put on an orange vest and an orange hat and I need to make sure everybody can tell I don't have antlers and brown fur because we're preparing ourselves not to be misidentified. 
and not to become a victim. Well, that's what a lot of these people did that day, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the people, the three percenters that are being vilified and slandered by the government. They went that day pretty much prepared for problems because Mm -hmm. that was the history of the counter-protest. Violence, assaults, even you know, flag burning, uh, beating on people, just the behavior is kind of beyond the pale of what we expect from civilized protesting. Uh, I never do any of that when I protest it on the corners. You know, I, I wave at people, get horn honks, stand up at a sign. I don't throw rocks. I don't stop the traffic and set their cars on fire. I mean, it's just a completely different method of of protesting, of being an activist. And so this this change that takes place as as people are basically going for a peaceful day, but prepared for something to happen. And then when something happens, they do what they came prepared to do. They tried to protect the defenseless. And those are the people who are drawing 22 years and 18 years and 19 years and being charged with conspiracy of insurrection and on and on and on. They're the most ridiculous charges in the world when they went there to protect people like Alex Jones. And if you'd have been a speaker, you or myself, that's what they were there for. And when, when violence broke out, the veterans that 27% of that population, they were the ones who knew what to do. They were the ones who knew how to rescue people. They were the ones who knew how to defend them. And that's what they did that day. And so now they rot in jail um, for not allowing people to be beat to death, for not allowing grandmothers to be shot and gassed. And these are the these are the inconsistencies that men in this prison try to to mentally balance. I mean, why am I here? I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything correct. I did what any person should have done. I did what I was trained to do. I did what my oath compelled me to do. And yet I sit here a political hostage. Some of them, Jeff McKellop now on two and a half years, two and a half years and no trial. And we'll, and you ask why they take pleas. This is why. It's an indefinite detainment. It's just, heck, Hostages have better, you know, I mean, prisoners in Gitmo are treated better. Uh, and so here's here's why we are arrived where we are today. These men are taking plea deals because they are being broken. They're giving no alternative. If you take your trial, you may face like Enrique Torrio, who wasn't even D.C. that day, 22 years in prison. And then the DOJ comes back and wants to appeal your sentence because they don't think he got enough for not being in D.C. that day. Um, and so. I just listened to a very long interview with Tucker Carlson and a gentleman by the by the name of uh, Douglas Mackey. And you may not remember Douglas Mackey because he's a nobody like me. Um, he just was a blogger at the time in 2016, and he, he was basically a MAGA supporter for Donald Trump. And somebody posted a, what he thought was a really funny meme about Hillary Clinton and voting by text, and he reposted it. He didn't create it. All he did was repost it. He was convicted of a... Of Basic election, uh, how did they put it? Basically interfering with an election. Uh, and they, he could get up to 20 years in prison. And he got convicted in D.C. Because now, because it all happens on the Internet, like you and I are talking on the Internet right now, this makes anything that happens that the government decides they don't like a federal crime because you're doing it over the wire. So now it's wire fraud or it's the use of the Internet to commit fraud or now the new Ministry of Truth's favorite charge, a misinformation. Um, And so this is the peril that we have actually, I I feel like we are already hanging by our fingernails off the cliff. I I think it's a little bit late to tell everybody to stop running. Now what you need to do is is turn and face the threat 
because your only alternative is to plummet off this cliff uh, and where liberty and freedom are, are no more. Um, and, and so this is the message these guys are trying to give you in these books. This is a message I've been trying to bring you for two and a half years. We're the, the, the new Paul Revere screaming our lungs out electronically over the Internet uh, within our echo space because mainstream media will not carry it. They won't let you hear from these guys. They won't let you read their letters. They won't tell you their stories. They won't let them speak. That is left up to people like you and I, Gary. Yes, it is. And and they try and censor us and shut us down and shadow ban us and threaten us and try and keep us from getting the message out. Uh, before I ask you what we can do to stop this or aid this or help this, if anything, the question that I'm sure the listening audience is, the heads are exploding to know, and uh, your answer, unfortunately, his answer is not going to be a good one. Why is this happening? Why are they doing this? Who's doing this and why? Uh, you know, there's so many people who want to put a label on it. It's the deep state. It's the democratic left. It's the you know, the evil world, uh, world dominion archive. What it is, is a, is a culture clash. There, we have lost control of the American culture over the last two decades. And you have an entire set of generations who no longer understand the basic premises of America, uh, the, the functions of duty and honor, the uniqueness of our country, and why many people consider it the last bastion of freedom for the free world. Uh, we didn't teach it. We let, we let people infiltrate our systems of, of preparation so that the two generations have almost been lost to a history of lies, is what I call it. And what we're trying to do so hard now is to erase that history, which is difficult to do because many people, because it was in a book and because my teacher said so, well, it must be real. And because she said, I can be a boy when I'm really a girl, well, that must be real too. And because she said it's okay to, you know, to look at pictures of nude men and women, even though I'm only 13, well, that's all right, because we don't want to restrict anybody's right to information. These are crazy things that go beyond the moral and ethical boundaries, which people have come to expect in America, at least my generation and the generations before. And so uh, this dichotomy of thought is what has created this mess for us. And I also have to bring it to an arising of a... I'm sure we could all go to jail for this, but of an almost a sociopathic power base in the world who finds themselves above common man, who believes that their methods of integrity and thought are greater than any individual's, and therefore their will is the correct one for, for states, for countries, for world. Um, and because they hold so much power, because they hold uh, basically a... a, a, a almost in human disdain for damage and human loss, they will go places that we will not go in order to mm. protect. They will do things that we would never do because of our moral and ethical restraints. And so I don't urge anybody to become the monster to fight the monster, but I make you aware that there is a monster and it does not play by your rules. And if you sit quietly and let the monster encroach on your side of the chessboard, it's checkmate. Um, and then things change for all of us, for all generations to come. And many people believe that America has propped up world peace and has maintained a, a hegemonic balance between the East and the West, which appears to completely have disintegrated now. 
where will that take the world? Um, what what will it look like in 20 years if we all just sit here and blog about it? Um, and so here's what you can do. The simplest thing you can do to get in golf is just try. I mean, just just get away from the keyboard and try. Write a letter to one of these prisoners. That's how I got involved after election integrity. Go to patriotmailproject.com. Not only can you write a letter there, we are running a Christmas, pro this is our third annual Christmas program to support the children and families of J6ers, families who have lost their breadwinners, who are bankrupted by legal fees, who are persecuted by the government, in many cases have lost their homes and their, their lives, their jobs, are shunned by their churches and their friends. And this organization, Patriot Mail Project, along with the American Gulag Chronicles, our mission is to keep these families whole and intact until their loved ones come home. And you can help with this Christmas project. Go to patriotmailproject.com. After you've chosen a prisoner to write to and talk about, then go to the Christmas project page and help us adopt a child. Uh, every little penny that you put in there goes directly to one of these families or children for their holiday and for food. Um, and it is your opportunity to be an angel. You want to know what you can do? That's a very simple thing. 58 cents for a letter and a couple of pennies for the envelope. Maybe $25 or a $30 donation to save a child and a family for Christmas. That's what you can begin to do. Then go to my site at J6 Patriot News and look at that front page. I got 30, 40 organizations that are looking for people like you, people who want to do something about it but have no idea what to do. Here's what you can do. Go find one of these organizations, talk to them, offer your services, get involved. You know, when it came to chicken, to the breakfast meal, to Gary, there are two types of people in that breakfast encounter that most of us have in the morning, the involved and the committed. That chicken, she was involved, but that pig, he was, yeah, he was all in. He <laughs> yeah. was all in. Yeah. And trust me, my friends, the opposition is all in here. And so we don't have many choices but to do the same. I hear you. And Tim, before I let you go, I'm going to let you give all your information again, where they can get the book and where they can go to, to all these organizations and everything. But the, the final thing that I wanted to ask you, I remember I heard it myself that uh, I think at 915 every night that they uh, the prisoners were singing the national anthem and uh, then at the end would break out in the USA, USA, USA. Do they still do that? They do in the D.C. Gulag. And there are some of the other prisoners who are now in BOPs. They are no longer in a pod together. They're isolated from the other prisoners. But in D.C., where they're all held together every night at nine o'clock and hundreds of thousands of people across America um, do it with them, believe it or not. I mean, I have an electric flag on the porch every now and then. I'll remember what time it is and run out there to do it. It just shows an affinity with them. Um, and, and it gives you an opportunity. Your neighbors are going to ask what you're going to do. Well, what were you doing last night? Don't be afraid to tell them. Right. And people, please understand, this is why this is important. Go back and look at your world history. Go back and look at how Hitler took over. He didn't just launch, I'm getting the Jews and the, this and the machinists and the Christians. He went, picked them off one by one. See, if they can do this to these people for this reason, they already shut the government down once. They can do this to us, right? Tim, thank you for coming. And uh, please tell people how they can get the book one more time and about your organizations, the J6 News, and how they can get anything to get involved. Well, you can get a copy of this book and the second book, which is coming out in December there. You can actually get them as a book set with free shipping and a discount at lettersfromprison.us. That's lettersfromprison.us. 
our core website where you can learn everything. Every day we update all the news about J6ers and about what's happening in the community and the courts. Go to j6patriotnews.com. That's j6patriotnews.com. And then, as I said, writing to a prisoner is how I got involved. I still have in front of me, you can't see it, but I've got tons of letters in here. And I'm just going to close with the last line of this letter from PatriotMailProject.com. This is an individual who is in both books. And he says, you know, thank you for your advocacy and your attention to us because it's an honor not to be forgotten in here. In so many of my letters, I get responses back where people express disbelief that I actually ended up encouraging them. And I hope that this one is no different. You can't win a surrender. And with folks like you at our back, we are not going to quit. Don't give up the ship, Tim. It's a long way to shore. God bless you, Kyle Fitzsimons, from the cells of the DC Gulag. Wow, wow, that's that's powerful. Tim, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're always welcome to come back to the show. You know, when you get that second book out, we'll do this again as long as we're allowed to. <laughs> and we, you know, like, but uh, this is this is rough stuff, people. And as I said a couple years ago, after this broke out, I was around a bunch of people as I who. I got to see some of this stuff and it, it's scary stuff because if it can have telling you, if it can happen to them, it can happen to you. So Tim, thank you for coming on. God bless you and God bless your family and keep up the good fight. Don't let them grind you down. That's right. And remember America, don't do nothing. There you have it. Mr. Tim Rivers. One of the most moving real-time moments in my life occurred during the Rock the Red Conservative Convention in Greenville, South Carolina, back in June of 2022. I'll never forget when my buds, Donna Fiducia and Don Nguyen, co-hosts of Cowboy Logic Radio, played this version of the national anthem that a J6 prisoner sent to his mother. What you're about to hear was followed by incessant clapping, shouts, and tears from those of us in the auditorium that evening. It was and remains the nightly 9 p.m. ritual of the J6 prisoners in the D.C. Gulag.
I want to thank Tim Rivers for getting involved, for doing the book, for refusing to be silenced in getting the word out, and for coming on to make our listeners aware of something many of us probably thought never would happen in our America. Why is this so important? It's this simple. If it happened to them, it can happen to you and to me. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. If you're joining us for the first time, we encourage you to look at the podcast archive located on the page. All episodes are there, featuring more than 125 high-profile guests, including Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Donna Fiducia, Claire Lopez, Judge Janine Pirro, Kevin Sorbo, Ann Vandersteel, Will Witt, Tom Holman, Steve Stern, Monica Crowley, Trevor Loudon, Brigitte Gabriel, John DeLemme, Tom Trento, and Michelle Terrace. That's it for now, America. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.